Good to see all of you here this morning. Name is Matthew, one of the pastors here at Faith Family. I'd like to welcome you if you're a visitor or guest with us this week. Uh, welcome. There should be a card right in front of you uh, that says connection card. Would love to have a record of you being here. If that would be your offering today, just drop that in the offering plate basket on the way out. Still trying to change that in my head. It's uh, right at the back of the doors when you, when you head out. So I uh, just want to encourage you there. Uh, to do that, as we, it's a wonderful song we just sang. I want to read a psalm to you, a few words about remembering the Lord and his deeds from Psalm 77. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among your people. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So this season is where we remember what God has done. His mighty works, his deeds of authority as he came to redeem us. So as we celebrate Christ, that is what he has done. He has brought redemption. 
He has brought salvation that He came and took our place on the cross. Our sins warrant the judgment of a righteous, holy God. And that righteous, holy God sent His Son to be our Savior. He came and gave His perfect life on the cross to pay the debt of sin. You can pay your debt of sin if you trust in Him. Trust in Christ. Turn to Him. Repent of sin. So that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Wonderful gift of grace in His Son. So I want to remind you this this Wednesday night, uh, we'll have a wrap-up time for the Wednesday night discipleship where we'll all meet together over in the Family Life Center in the gym right over behind us. And uh, we will have dinner together and have a time to share of what God has been doing and pray together and sing a few a few songs together. And so it'll be a wonderful time. Just want to encourage you to uh, to be here. Uh, so it should be uh, should be a great fellowship time together. And there is a sign up online. I think it is still live and good to go. If you want to check that out on the website. Also, uh, as we do each year around Christmas, we have a a offering called the Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering. And it is an offering for the, uh, the various missionaries across the globe to support them as they are called by the Lord into a various people group uh, at all kinds of places in the world to bring the gospel. And so this Christmas offering, as we, we do each year to support them, every bit of it goes to these missionaries and to support and to provide for their needs so that they can focus on the work, on sharing the gospel and building relationships on how the Lord would lead them into their specific area to reach the people that God has called them in rather than being concerned about how they'll raise support in sending out letters in returning home to be able to find, uh, find support. And so it is a, a phenomenal uh, system and it is what this offering gives to. And so I want to encourage you as next Sunday, we will take up those offerings and pray over them that you would seek the Lord for what he would have you to give and seek the Lord for how he would have you to partner in the over 4,000 missionaries uh, that are scattered across the globe and how best to, uh, to support them. And so we'll pray in just a minute about that, but just want to bring that to your attention uh, that that offering will be taking, uh, taken up next Sunday morning. All right? So, as we've been doing each week, we've been memorizing a verse of Scripture. And so, out of numbers, we will uh, return to our verse for December and read it again. And so, this one verse, uh, verse 19, if you would, just follow with me. Let's read it twice, and uh, we'll, we'll keep going. All right, you ready? There we go. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Numbers 23, 19. One more time. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Numbers 23, 
19. God's word is eternal. It is trustworthy. He has spoken. He is unique across the globe because God has given us his word. He has spoken to people. He has come into human history and revealed who he is. And he's inspired people to write what he has said and what he has done. And that's what this is. That's what the scriptures are. It's God's self-revelation. Him telling us who he is. Telling us what he has done. And telling us what he wants for us. So, great truth. Let's pray and then we'll continue in worship. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you that you have inspired your scripture. That we have this trustworthy copy of what you have done, of what you have, you have told to be written and to be cataloged and that God it has been preserved by your spirit you have preserved your word so that what we have before us we can depend upon as your very word and so father I ask that God you would open our minds open our eyes this morning to what you have said and what you have done that your word Lord would be alive and that we would hear from you and you would draw us to you. Lord, you would draw us to renewal of faith that your people, God, would renew themselves before you, would repent of sins from this week, and Lord, come to you in humility, trusting in your Son. That God, you would remind us of your works and what you have done in our lives days and years before, and that God, we would be reminded of what you've done in the lives of others generations before and that God your people would be renewed in the joy of your salvation this morning and that God you would draw others who do not know you who have not heard of you and what you've done to your son that God your people would lift him up in their words and in their actions and that those who know not who you are would be drawn to your son and trust in you god would you do that this morning would you do that among us this morning would you do that across this globe as other local bodies of christ are meeting together that god that god your kingdom would grow and that new people would come to know you god we thank you and ask all these things in the name of your son jesus amen amen Let's continue to stand as we continue in worship through song. Oh, come. 
sending him to die for our sins, to take our punishment. God, in this, this season, God, this Christmas season, help us, help us to not forget why he came. Lord, help us to rejoice, to be thankful for his coming and to look forward to his second. Lord, I pray for Pastor Joel as he brings the message, God, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, that we will leave this building better equipped to be your church, to be your body, and to share your love with those around us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Yeah, he said, I'll take those. They're words to songs. So that means I'm not singing again this Sunday. So that's good. Amen. <laughs> uh, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, I did the music. So uh, uh, it was quite an experience, wasn't it, church? <laughs> All right. Uh, as we are thinking in terms of uh, Christ's first coming, uh, 
And in anticipation of his second coming, uh, this is uh, the third week of Advent, and today we're talking about joy. We've already looked at our hope in Christ, both of his first coming and his second coming. It's a confident expectation that has its roots in his first coming, that he's going to come again, as he promised. And then we've talked about the peace uh, that is given to us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And today we're talking about joy, uh, the joy that comes in a relationship with Christ and the one who uh, really came in time and in place uh, to live among us. But as uh, was mentioned, uh, not only uh, that he came, but why he came, and that is to bring us salvation. And as David talked about the joy of the Lord's salvation. There is a joy in Christ. You, you and I can't get that joy any other place. There's, there's, no, other, there's no other resource. There's no other uh, pharmacy you can go to and get it from. Uh, it comes from an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I've, I've picked a text this morning. Uh, I've titled it, The Joyful Worshippers. Um, and uh, it's actually post-birth of Christ. It's after his birth. And we don't know exactly what time it was in that we don't know exactly um, how old the Lord was. Was he uh, a year old? Was he two years old? We, we don't know exactly. Uh, God has chosen not to make that clear to us. Uh, but he is still in Bethlehem, so it seems apparent that he's still... Uh, very young and uh, and so uh, as you know he was living the family was living in Nazareth which would be uh, north northwest of Bethlehem and uh, they were instructed to return uh, to uh, Joseph uh, his home place uh, he was of the tribe of Judah and uh, was born in Bethlehem himself which was the house of David and so uh, uh, he, uh, he, the Lord Jesus, had right to be the ruler uh, by the law uh, over Israel. And so uh, we have this kind of context uh, that we're going to be reading from this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and it says, And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, and we're talking about Herod the Great, uh, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you, that is Bethlehem, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from what uh, from them what time the star had appeared. And we're talking about its first appearing. And so he said to them to 
sent them rather to Bethlehem saying go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him bring me word and then here is the live Herod that I too may come and worship him and listening to the king they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was when they saw the star they rejoice with exceeding great joy and going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him and then opening their treasures they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way. Would you join me in prayer again as we ask for the Lord's help? And Father, we do come to your holy word, the ancient scriptures that uh, are true, uh, both yesterday, today, and, to, and forever. Uh, your word stands, Lord, not like the grass of the field nor the flowers thereof that fade away but your word it abides forever and we ask for help for Lord uh, we know that spiritual truth must be revealed to our hearts by the Holy Spirit and so we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us today and bring to remembrance the things that we've already been taught so that we might correctly and accurately respond today with not only a joy that comes in a relationship with you, but also that we might understand that our lives are here for the purpose of worshiping not only our Creator, but our Savior, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember reading uh, years ago, and I uh, can't remember exactly uh, when it was, a statement by G. Campbell Morgan uh, where he said, uh, when you look at this passage of Scripture, there are basically three responses that are given to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the response of hostility, there's the response of indifference, and there's the response of worship. And so that's what I want us to do, is I want us to look at this text of Scripture and, and see uh, these three different groups and you and I are going to have to make a decision today in that you fit, I fit, we fit in one of those categories. We are either hostile toward Christ, we're indifferent toward Christ, or we are worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's begin by looking first of all at this hostile ruler. He was Herod the Great. Uh, there are some who say that historically we can nail it down using some of the things that Josephus said uh, to the year 4 B.C. And I understand when I say that, you're going to say, well, I thought Jesus was born at zero, okay? And, uh, and the truth is we really don't know. Uh, when Josephus writes about it, he said there were two things that accompanied the death of Herod the Great. And one of them was a fast, and the other was a lunar eclipse that occurred at the same time. 
And uh, there is evidence that in 4 BC uh, that uh, early in September uh, there was a minor eclipse. It wasn't a total eclipse of the moon in Palestine in that time. And uh, so there are those who say that's when it was. Uh, there are others who have come to discover that there were actually two events that occurred in uh, 1 BC. And uh, one of them has to center around uh, the, fa the feast or the fast rather at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And there was a full lunar eclipse at that time. And then uh, the other would have been around Purim, uh, which was the Feast of Dedication. And uh, also uh, that was around, uh, that was on December the 29th of that particular year. And reality is we don't know. And it doesn't matter because we have multiple historians that refer to this event. And... Uh, God has, again, chosen not to tell us what the star was. Uh, was it a supernatural star? Was it a natural occurring uh, nebula or whatever else that took place? We just really don't know. But it was so significant that here we have some men who are called, uh, in this text, wise men. Some other scriptures will call them magi. Uh, and... Uh, uh, R.C. Sproul says that uh, the Magi were, were actually uh, kind of court wise men. I, I was going to say wise guys, but that's not a very good thing to say, I guess. Uh, they were, they were uh, helpers in the court of the king. They were probably from Babylon, and uh, that would be corresponding to modern-day Iraq. And uh, just to kind of give you an understanding, it would have been where you might remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were serving in that same capacity in, in their day. And uh, they come from that part of the world to, to see this supernatural event that is taking place. And you have to remember, they, they have a copy of Daniel's book. They've been reading Daniel's book. And so they have been putting the pieces together. And they are coming to find what they believe to be the Messiah. Now, uh, Herod the Great, uh, when he hears that they have come to see a king, he's disturbed. And the reason why he is disturbed is because he had been appointed king in Israel by Augustus Caesar. Now, y'all might remember the name Augustus Caesar from your history. Augustus Caesar, when he established Herod the Great as the king, he called him the king of the Jews. I think that's quite interesting because who is Jesus likened to time and time again? And the question is asked of him time and time again. Are you really the king of the Jews? And so when, when Herod hears this, he is, he is not uh, comfortable with it. He's agitated by it. He's angry by it. He becomes violent because of it. And so you and I can see how he was understandably disturbed. 
He's hearing about this child who is born, and there are many contradictions that are in our minds when we hear of a child, and yet what he is called. Because you, when you and I go to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we know he's a baby, but he's also called a wonderful counselor. Uh, that's not something that you necessarily would uh, uh, give account to for a baby who had just been born. He's called Mighty God, though he is now just simply an infinite, born in flesh and humanity. And it seems to be a contradiction that is there. He's, he's in uh, swaddling clothes, wrapped up, uh, and yet he is the everlasting Father. And, and so when, when Herod hears this, he's not only hearing that the Messiah has come, but he's hearing the king of the Jews is here, and uh, there's a rivalry that is taking place. And what Herod has to come to wrestle with in his own mind is there can only be one. There can only be one. Well, now in Deuteronomy 4, 35 and 39, it says in verse 35, it says, There is no other beside Him, and that is the Lord God. There is only one God. In the Shema, if you were Jewish, uh, you would say the Lord our God is one. And uh, Deuteronomy 4.39 says that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth and beneath. There is no other. And so when Herod is hearing this, he, he's thinking in terms of there can only be one king, but the reality is there can only be one Lord. I, I know I share, I've shared this with you before, but uh, uh, a number of years ago, we had a visitor on a Wednesday night, and she was from China. And uh, uh, she was going to our high school here in Spanish Fort. She was visiting. We got to talking. We were out at the playground, and uh, after the service was over, we started talking about what a Christian was. And when I finally came to the point of saying, it is either Jesus is Lord or you are Lord. But there's no difference. And, and when I said that to her, she, her response to me is, no one will own me. And you see, that's the, that's the relationship that uh, Herod has right now. No one is going to be my king. I'm king. I'm the, I'm the boss of my own life. I do what I want to do. Even though the scripture has said in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, speaking of Jesus. There's a, there's a hurtful backlash that takes place in uh, Bethlehem because of Herod's uh, hostile response to Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew 12, 13 through 15 goes on to tell... They, when they, that is the Magi, the, the wise men, had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take your child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. Why is that? Well, uh, there is the reference that he is to be called out of Egypt. But the reality is, verses 16 through 18 
of Matthew 2 tell us that uh, Herod had tricked the wise men. Uh, pardon me, had realized when the wise men had tricked him, they didn't come back. It says he became furious. And so he sent men to go into Bethlehem and kill all the male children that were two years of age and younger. There is a hostility that exists in the human heart against calling Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. We've seen it in our own lives, in the times that we rejected Jesus Christ, when we said no to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it in the world in which we live, both, both in a culture that has uh, been open uh, to the things of God and its history, uh, but also in other places around the world and other corners of the planet when it is outwardly hostile and putting to death uh, those who become followers of Jesus Christ. So it was in the day of Herod. It was, it was here in, uh, in uh, Bethlehem that the Scripture refers to the weeping of, of Rachel for her children. Uh, it's an Old Testament reference, and uh, you might remember that uh, Rachel uh, was on her way to Bethlehem, and she gives birth to Benjamin. And uh, when she gives birth to Benjamin, Rachel dies. And so it, it, Bethlehem is where Rachel was buried, and so we, we have the reference in the Old Testament uh, to the weeping and the mourning of Rachel but it is also a reference to what takes place when Herod uh, goes and has these children ages uh, two and under killed. Now, William F. Albright, I know you all know him, uh, was a, uh, an archaeologist back in the early 1900s. And uh, uh, in his discoveries in Bethlehem, and by the way, uh, if, you, if you look at Bethlehem in the, for example, I've looked at pictures in the 1930s, uh, it was a little town of about 5,000 people. It was not very large. It's not what it is today. And so when he uh, did his excavations there, he, he determined that Bethlehem in the day of the birth of Jesus probably had around 300 residents. I mean, that's a little town. And so when you th and I think about Jesus' family coming and returning to Jerusalem, uh, to Bethlehem for the census that uh, uh, Caesar had required, there's not a lot of people there. Uh, it probably doubled in population as family members had to return back for the registering for the census. And so when it says uh, there was no room in the inn, uh, it probably has more meaning than what you and I uh, kind of, uh, uh, what comes to mind to us. And, uh, and so I, I want to move then not only from uh, this, this man that represents the heart of humanity uh, that uh, looks at a hostile ruler, I want you to see an indifferent skeptic or the indifferent skeptics that are here. Uh, because when, uh, uh, when the wise men come and they inquire, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Uh, 
Herod asked the question of his priest and his scribes. Uh, when did this happen and where would he be born? Do you remember what they did? They didn't go into the back room of the temple and pull out old scrolls. The scripture doesn't record that they had to get their, their Jewish history books out and, and, and pull them out and read it. The reality is they immediately responded. Verse 5 says they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. And then they give the reference in Micah 5.2. A prophet wrote, Micah wrote, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. You see, they, they understood. They knew the truth. They weren't just hostile people who saw a competition for their, their rights and their authority and their, uh, their personhood. They knew the truth of what the Scripture said. They had been raised and steeped in the Word of God. And yet, though they knew exactly where this Messiah was to be born, what did they do about it? They did absolutely Nothing. They had heard about the coming of the Messiah. They knew why the Messiah was coming. They understood that Isaiah 53 had communicated that the Messiah would be the suffering Savior who would bear our sins in his body on the tree. And they heard that over and over and over again. It reminds us that the human heart can become hardened it can become scarred. It can be unfeeling about the things of God. Can hear the gospel over and over and over again. And be immune to any kind of feeling. Because that's true, it ought to be a warning to us. Because that's not only true for the unbeliever. It can also be true of a believer. A believer can harden our hearts at times to the things of God. And so when we begin to think, and you know, Christmas is a great time of the year, it's a time of family, it's a time of sharing in gifts, it's a time of eating good food, and, and all of the things that come along with Christmas, but it ought to remind us, when Christ came, the vast majority of the Jews, they knew what Micah had said. They knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, and yet nobody went there to see him except a few wise men from the east. And so uh, they come in, and uh, uh, that is uh, the family of, of Jesus, Joseph and Mary come, and the rest of the people do what I think is the worst kind of response that you could ever give to the great gift of God's free grace, and that is indifference. You know, Jesus had said in the book of Revelation, I would rather you be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I cannot tolerate that. I cannot tolerate that. And so God is asking us today to make sure that we know that we're following in the right camp of the right people who have been graced by God to respond.
to the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. Now, is this a, is this a really historical event that takes place in Bethlehem? Well, we have an early church father. His name was Origen. And in 146 B.C., uh, pardon me, A.D., uh, he writes about, uh, uh, actually gives an apologetics, uh, an explanation to the people of his day when they were saying, did this Jesus really come? Was he really born in Bethlehem? And he writes about it, and this is what he says, If you doubt that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you can go to that place today and see where he was born. Now, I said a moment ago, you know, the scripture says that there was no room for him in the inn. Kiddos, you need to listen up to this. Because he probably, the, the word in. I-N-N, uh, in, the, in the Greek text of the Scripture, uh, really is guest room, okay? There was no guest room available to them. In all probability, they came to the home, uh, the patriarchal home that Joseph had come out of. And you and I are used to homes being different in our day. But uh, I can remember going to... Uh, growing up in Mobile and going to Gulf Shores for uh, family vacation time, you know, back before there was electricity and TV and all of those things, uh, people were actually black and white in those days. There was no color. Uh, <clears throat> exaggerating just a little bit. But when we went to the Gulf and we had, I had three brothers and my uncle had four da uh, five daughters. We all gathered together and slept in one house that had one room. The beds were everywhere. Now, I mean, you're talking about having a hard time sleeping through the night. Thank goodness for box fans in those days, you know, to kind of silence some of the snoring that went on during the night. But, you know, that, that's just the kind of way it was. Well, guess what? That's kind of the way it was in the day of the birth of Jesus. The house that Jesus probably was born in, and I can only say this based on historical evidences of generalities of the day, had one large room that had the kitchen in it where they ate and where they slept. Their house was probably, in all likelihood, backed up to a, the side of a hill that had a cave. And it was in that little cave that it was connected to where the domestic animals were corralled at night to make sure nobody stole them. There would have been a wall that was there at the mouth of that little cave that their big room backed up to. And that's where... Mary and Joseph went. The guest room would have been on the roof. It probably would have had a lean-to on it, or if they had money, it would have had walls around the guest room. But there were probably other family members who had come into Jerusalem for the census that were already in there. And besides that, Mary was with, with child and it would have been very difficult for her to go up to the stairs and so she had her privacy back here where she gives birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask this. Is there, is there room for Christ in your heart? Is there a welcoming sign outside 
your life that says to the Lord Jesus, listen, I, I welcome you. I invite you. I was one who once rejected you. I was one who once said no to you. I was one who once was indifferent to you. But by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, I have been graced to receive you. Which leads me to that third group, and that is the joyful worshipers. The joyful worshipers. For these wise men come, according to verse 7, and, and uh, they understand that his star has appeared. And so verse 8, they go and they search, not casually, it says diligently, it has the idea of investigatively, forensically, as it were. They're searching out. These men are intent. Now, I've got to believe that God put it in their heart back when they were in, in Babylon. And I say that because I think you and I both know that if God doesn't start something in us, we can't come to Him. There's, there's not just a natural response to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a supernatural response. It's a, it's a working of God's grace in us that leads us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And so they, they seek him out and they say, we've come to worship him. And when they see a star, notice what it said in verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly. I mean, there's a joy that cannot be explained otherwise. And, and notice in verse 11, it says, when they saw the child with Mary, what did they do? They prostrated themselves on the ground. They fell down on the ground and they worshipped him. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book titled uh, Surprised by Joy and in it he says that true joy is not something that you and I can attain. He says it's, it's an elusive thing. Now there's happiness and there's pleasure and there's some similarity between happiness and pleasure and joy but joy is not something that you can attain. It's something that must be given to you. There must be an outside or an external source that causes you to have joy. And you say, well, I'm not sure that I understand that. Well, what about the birth of a child, for example? Does that bring you joy? Well, absolutely it does. But see, you can't just decide one day, I'm going to have joy. What has to happen for you to have joy over the birth of a child? It's not rocket science here. The child has to be born. It's an external thing. Now, you can be happy. You can find things that will make you happy. You can choose to be happy. But what you cannot do is choose to be joyful. You see, joyful, being joyful is a gift of the Spirit. We are told in uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and on. But it's a gift of the Spirit of God. It has to come from without. It, it, he, he, Lewis goes on to say it's, it's, like a, it's like grasping at a mist. It's like trying to catch steam with your hands, you, you can't grasp it. 
When did these people have joy? When did these magi have joy? When they saw Jesus. When they saw Jesus. And Lewis goes on to say, if you want joy, pursue Christ. If you want to have true joy in your life, look unto Jesus and believe. It was Thomas who said, unless I put my fingers in his handprints and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And you remember as he encounters the resurrected Lord Jesus and he beholds him, he says, my Lord and my God. There's a response and a reaction that, that, that happens because of the external supply that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, you might remember uh, that uh, in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 24, verses 50 and following, it says, And he, uh, Jesus, led them out from Bethany. This is after his resurrection. Lifting up his hands, he blesses them. And while he's blessing them, he's lifted up into heaven. It's his ascension into heaven. He's carried off. When they are looking at Jesus, they worship him the word to worship means to fall on your face they fell on their faces before the Lord Jesus Christ and they returned to Jerusalem with what great joy if you're in Christ today your joy is in Christ your joy is in Jesus happiness will come and happiness will go pleasures you may pursue and they'll give you an excitement for a while, but they're fleeting. They're like grasping at the wind, and you can't, you can't hold on to it. But joy, this joy that you and I sing, joyful, joyful, let us adore Him. Where does that come from? It comes from looking unto Jesus and being saved, being rescued by Christ. To know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. But oh, in Christ, I am accepted. And it produces such a great joy. I realize that uh, with Christmas time also comes some challenges. Because uh, it involves family. Right? I mean, let's just admit it. Sometimes getting together as family can be stressful can it it can be a strain getting everything ready for Christmas morning if you're a parent uh, it can be a very stressful moment for you and uh, difficult hard I, where are the batteries uh, by the way I only have grandkids now don't buy my kids toys that require batteries right Moms and dads, don't buy your kids toys with batteries. Yes, I'm anti-battery, okay? And why is that? Because toys that require batteries make noise, <laughs> okay? And there you are, you're, you're trying to get everything ready and you're frustrated and, and God doesn't want His children to live like that because Christmas isn't about the toys. Now, I know if you're a kid, it is. It's our responsibility as parents and grandparents to teach our kids. It's about the Christ that came. And the joy 
that that produces in us because we have an assurance of Christ. So there's three responses. Hostility, indifference, worship. Where are you today? Are you hostile toward Christ? Look what it did for Herod. As a matter of fact, when the historians write about Herod's death, at just right after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, Herod died. He died of some kind of disease. We don't know exactly what it was. It may have been an STD. We don't know. But as they write about him, they talked about the putrefied smell that you encountered as Herod was dying. Now, that, that's not a pretty picture, is it? So, preacher, what you're saying is everybody who is hostile toward Christ is going to die a putrefying death. Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. But the wages of sin is death. And there is no hope. What about indifference? Let me just live my life for myself. Do as I please. And the rich young ruler asked Jesus, how do I get to heaven? Jesus gave him a response of giving away all that he had, in essence, making Jesus Lord. And the scripture says that he went away a sorrowful man because he had many possessions. And there are those humble people, these fishermen, these common folk, as well as religious people like Nicodemus, who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they fell on their face and they worshipped him. He was their Savior and he was their Lord. So I want to encourage you this morning, before we take of the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate why he came, that he came to die and give his life as a ransom for us, that you make sure that you're not hostile, that you're not indifferent, but that Christ Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and you are worshiping him. He's boss. He is Lord. So let's bow together in a word of prayer. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Just want to ask you before we come before the Lord's table this morning. And God tells us to discern the Lord's body before we take of the Lord's Supper. And I want to ask you this morning, have you discerned Christ? Have you understood that Christ came? It was a real supernatural birth. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit and of Mary. It cannot be explained except by spiritual truth. And only the Holy Spirit can bring that truth to your heart. But would you say, Lord, help me to know and understand that Christ is the God-man, a seeming contradiction, who came to be the Prince of Peace, who came to be the sacrifice for my sin. And He bore in His body all of our sins on that tree and by his blood we are forgiven 
And that you call us to believe. Lord, I can't just wrap my brain around that and say it's a reality. For Lord, it's contradictory to rationality. Even though the Bible is rational, even though the truths are rational, they're irrationalities that will cause our fallen hearts to say, I'm hostile to Christ. I don't want Christ. Or it will hear the truths about Jesus and be indifferent and say, I don't care. But Lord, your word and the calling of the Holy Spirit require us to fall before the lovely Lord Jesus. And as the old song says, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Lord, we're talking about our life. We're talking about surrendering our lives to you. And I pray, Lord, if there is one here that is yet to do that, today would be the day. That hear the call of Christ to come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And Lord, for we who have become followers of Jesus Christ, who have come to that crisis moment of life and graced by you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would indeed worship you today and worship you joyfully. That as we take of this bread, as we drink of this cup, that it reminds us of the Lord's death is sufficient for all of our sin and that we have been born again and raised to new life through Christ. So we have a joy that abides when pleasure goes, when happiness flees, because Jesus is Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand together for just a moment and sing a song of invitation. Pastor Matthew and I will be down here at the front to be of any assistance to you. If God has spoken to your heart, if you just need to come kneel in prayer. Uh, but let's just sing a response to the Lord, I think. There, there you are. <laughs> I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Okay, I'm going to ask you to be seated at this time. Uh, it is um, the Stance of Faith Family Fellowship uh, as a church of, Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ that we invite all who have been born again uh, to participate in the Lord's Supper uh, this morning. Uh, so let me read uh, from Matthew's Gospel in the 26th chapter where it says, On the first day of unleavened bread... The disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover with us? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, 
The teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did just as Jesus had directed them. And they prepared for the Passover. So if our men will come. And after a word of prayer, we will take of the bread being reminded that Jesus Christ bore in his body all of our sins on the tree. So let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time to, to celebrate and to remember, but also a time to reflect upon our walk with you as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to make sure that we are in fellowship with one another in the body of Christ, that the spiritual relationships that we have are current and up-to-date, that, Lord, there's no unforgiveness in our heart toward others, but out of the greatness of your grace that you have forgiven us, that we freely forgive others. And then, Lord, that we might be in right relationship with Jesus, knowing that as we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Feet, pair flowers of paradise. 
paradise extend their fragrance ever sweet and crown him the lord of love he holds his hands and side those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified all hail redeemer hail for thou hast died for me thy praise and glory shall not fail throughout eternity And so the scripture says, and uh, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. Uh, this is the uh, Passover bread. It looks similar to this. Of course, this has been Americanized and made square, but uh, it's matzah bread. And uh, Jesus, the scripture says, took the bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Amen. And now if you'll help us prepare for the cup. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
So uh, the scripture says he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said to them, drink of it, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So drink of it, all of you. And Psalm 43.8 says, taste and See that the Lord is good. Before you leave, uh, let me uh, just ask you to join us in praying for uh, Earl Hollingshead. Uh, Earl and Phyllis normally sit about third row right there. Uh, Earl has uh, liver cancer and it's extremely aggressive. And uh, we need to uplift him. He is confident uh, that he's not battling cancer that he's resting faithfully in the promises of God, that he knows that he has an assurance uh, that he will be with the Lord uh, if God chooses not to bring healing to his body. Uh, But just pray for them through a very difficult...